0: Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. Y'all get into a social media fight? <laughs> Some of you are like, "Yeah, actually, I have," but I'm not going to say that in church. <laughs> I almost got myself into a beef this week over, of all things, Mother's Day. Now, I like to think I've matured enough where it's like, at best you get one response out of me and then I'm out. All right, and this was on Twitter, not on Facebook. Facebook is just a place for people to, it feels like a place for people to yell and scream at each other. Twitter is the world's most passive-aggressive platform in the world, so I figured, well, I'll just let, I'll just be passive and not aggressive and just let it, just let it happen. But there were so many mainline clergy, my colleagues, who said something to the effect of Mother's Day isn't a church holiday, so please, please, please don't celebrate it. Some of you are laughing, you're like, wait, what? Now, here's the thing: I actually appreciate that sentiment. It's not a church holiday. It doesn't show up in the scriptures. It doesn't show up. It doesn't show up in our tradition. In fact, it doesn't even show up in America until the late 1800s, early 1900s. But I'm I'm not nearly so inclined as to slough it off entirely. Because just because it's not a church holiday doesn't mean it can't be a Christian holiday. Doesn't mean there's not something about our faith that is intertwined within it. So if we're going to make it a Christian holiday, well, then what would that mean? How would we define a Christian holiday? Well, at the very least, and we can argue about this later, preferably not on a social media platform, at the very least, we could at least say that if it must orient us to the love of God and the love of neighbor, these are the two greatest commandments after all, yes, and anything we do that celebrates the glory of God should do just that, orient us to God and the love of God and orient us to one another and the love of neighbor, So today, we absolutely celebrate and allow God to to orient us to our neighbor as we celebrate the self sacrifice, love, growth, and discipline that is representative of mothers. Because in so many ways, they so often model self love, sacrifice, and devotion. In fact, it is so pervasive in in the human experience. That even the scriptures presume that it is okay and indeed important that we describe God in motherly terms. The scriptures often describe God in feminine terms. As a hen, gathering chicks is one of my favorites, not just because of the farm analogy, but certainly that image matters to us. God brings God's children together. And we might even say God brings her children in, hides them underneath her wings. And to the extent that we experience love from our mothers, as we said at the beginning, we root that love in the maternal love of God. So to honor that is to honor and honor the presence and love of God that manifests itself in our everyday relationships. Every day we wake up and there is breakfast on the table, which means God has provided through the love of those whom we name mother. But not everyone experiences the world through that lens, And Christian love kind of demands that we stop and recognize that while that may very well be your experience, it is certainly my experience, it is not everyone's experience. Today we can equally honor and see that some have a difficult relationship with their mothers. Many are mourning today the loss of their mothers, This is another place where my social media feed has become very useful. So many of us are missing our moms today or have recently lost a mother and that today weighs heavy on our soul even as we try to celebrate. Some of us are mourning that we can never be mothers. Some of us never knew our mothers. In a more positive and less weighty, Idea. Some of us knew maternal love through people other than our mothers. And so we should not presume that today is a universally recognized celebration in the way that you perceive it and the way I perceive it. Eighty percent of us might come here ready to celebrate in all the ways that seem normal to us. And I hope that you've called your mom and that you've gotten her something to do the things, if you can do the things. But there's at least 20% of us for whom this day is complicated, to say the least. What then should we do with that? What do we do with that if we're serious about having this be a Christian holiday which orients us to the love of God and the love of neighbor? Surely a Christian celebration invites us to take these realities into account as well, yes? And indeed, as Alan read, if, if, if John is right, to love the parent is to love the child, and our eternal parent is God, then surely we must envision an observance that is big enough for those who observe in different ways. And so to illustrate this, I want to go to a, what might seem an obscure reading for a Mother's Day celebration. Today we read out of the gospel a very small portion of the Sermon on the Mount, and by all indications, not the most inspirational part of the Sermon on the Mount. There are many things in that sermon that are memorable to us. The idea of the law and prophets isn't one of the first things that pops to mind. But this sermon is, of course, Jesus' answer to Moses on Mount Sinai. We remember Moses went up the mountain and he got the Ten Commandments along with 613 other commandments, brought them down. Yes, there was a whole golden calf thing. I'll talk about that later. But ultimately, God gives the law to the Israelites through Moses. And Jesus says, I'm doing that all over again. Jesus goes up on the mountain and gives his law. If the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law shaped life for the people of Israel, what law shapes the life of the followers of Christ? That is the question Jesus is answering. And the tricky thing, though, is that Jesus gives surprisingly little direct law. It's one of the great frustrations of this sermon, right? We're all standing there going, just tell me what to do. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's not how this works. He says stuff like, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. So on and so forth. And if you're like me, you're going, "Uh, Jesus, that is not exactly an actionable item. I I can't force myself to mourn. I don't know necessarily what it means to be poor in spirit. How does one do that to oneself? And that's the whole point. These are not actionable things, and most of the Sermon on the Mount isn't. Because Jesus isn't giving us a moral to-do list. Good Lord, your mother might give you a moral to-do list. Jesus isn't going to do that. Jesus isn't here to box us in. The whole point of Jesus' reign is that he is creating a kingdom, one might even say an ecosystem. He's forming the people into a way of living and seeing the world. And he says, want to live differently? Well, then you have to see the world differently. You have to understand it. You have to take it in differently. And that's why he says things like, blessed are the poor in spirit. Don't ignore the poor. Pay attention to the poor. And that's when life starts to happen. Don't ignore the meek, which you're so often ignored. Actually pay attention to the meek and they will teach you about what it means to be a member of the kingdom of God. See the world differently. Enlarge your vision for the world and what God is doing in it. That's what the Sermon on the Mount gets at. But it's not all that different from what God was doing with Israel back on Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai. The law of Mount Sinai was very, very different. It was very specific, but it was about the same goal. God gave laws about food, about clothing, worship, rest, immigrants, social order, economics. And what God is saying is, listen, all of this stuff that you experience, all of it's within the purview of God. There is no separation of like, this is our religious practice, and then you go out and do you know your, your secular or your, or your, more, your more public realities. No, no, no. Jesus is like, God's like, nah, actually I get to tell you about all of it. God was creating a new reality in Israel. And that is why Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Don't think that I'm coming to do an incredibly brand new thing. It's like, I'm, I have come to fulfill it. I have come to finish the work of creating an environment where all are seen, loved, and blessed. I mean, indeed, elsewhere we learn that Jesus isn't just enforcing the minutia of laws. Jesus isn't about taking sort of that same spirit of here's all the laws and here's the thing you need to do. Because Jesus says often, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Jesus has no problem undercutting some of this stuff. But he's still about the same goal of creating a reality lived in the presence of God. And Jesus says, I will continue that work. A place for everyone. And those who want to follow me will come along. We'll share that goal. We'll be about creating an environment where all are loved. All are seen. And all have a place. But this is where it gets difficult for us. Because faith is hard. And we often feel some measure of success doing the 80%. we're Like, well, I got that far. And indeed, that is praiseworthy. But Jesus accuses the Pharisees in this very passage of doing the 80% and neglecting the 20%. He tells them later, you do the tithe thing right and you do the worship thing right. All of that's fabulous. But he says, you ignore that smaller piece, which is oh so important, the deeper realities of justice and mercy. And what Jesus is saying is only when the whole ecosystem, down to the details, is observed, and tended for, will God's reality finally break forth in our lives. Only when all of the people of God are, have their, are embraced as a part of this, only then will God's kingdom come to bear. And that, my friends, is a lifetime of work. And so in this way, we are called to tend to the full reality That presents itself today. To pay attention, as Jesus says, to the jots and the tittles. I'm so disappointed in new translations. They say, not the smallest mark, not the smallest stroke of a pen. No, 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 let's use the grammatically correct stuff. The jot and tittle were these tiny little accent marks in the Greek language that helped you understand how to speak. And he says, not a jot or a tittle will be ignored in the kingdom. And so it behooves us to pay attention to the jots and the tittles who come at this day differently than us. For those who celebrate today, who buy flowers and send cards and call their moms and drag their kids to church and celebrate a healthy and vibrant relationship, we join in awesome for you. But with just as much fervor, we mourn with those who mourn. We lament with those who lament. We yearn with those who yearn. While Mother's Day isn't a church holiday, it can be a Christian one in that it gives us opportunity to love in so many different ways, meeting people where they are and how they are with equal intensity. So Jesus says, for truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one jot, not one tittle of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Not one detail. And so if you're wandering in here going, yeah, I know everybody's doing Mother's Day today, but I'm just not feeling it, God sees you. God knows what you're going through, and God loves you just as much as the one who's going to post it all over Facebook. Look how wonderful my mother and my wife are. Yeah, you all laugh. Want to grow in faith? See everyone, honor everyone, and care for everyone, and that is the call of this day. Indeed, John says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the parent loves the child. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his parents. If we love God, he says, then we'll love God's children as well, all God's children. Obedience will mean then that we are sensitive to the experiences of everyone for whom we come in contact with, particularly those whose experiences are different than ours and who experience the world differently than us. Because only in this way do we live into the full ecosystem of god's kingdom where all have a place where all are loved and where all are embraced so you want to make this a church holiday the church is called to be mother to be a nurturing growing discipling community where we all grow into maturity to be a mothering church means that there is a place for each and every person without judgment or prejudice where they are free to be their fullest most authentic self and if you think this goes a little sideways from what you were expecting to hear this morning, I hope not, but maybe some of you are like, ah, that's not what I came here for, Pastor. Well, let me tell you a little bit about Mother's Day. You know how Mother's Day started? It was started in a Methodist church, which means maybe it is a church holiday, oops. <laughs> but it started as an anti-Civil War protest. The very author of the Battle Hymn of the Republic, Julia Ward Howe, saw that the effects of war went far beyond dead men on battlefields. This wasn't a world that she ever wanted to see again. And she saw potential for women to band together for peace. Peace, sure sounds like the kingdom of God to me. And this day and our faith is calling us to protect and love our most vulnerable, to do justice, to bring about a world of peace where all the children of our mother and God can be cared for. And of course we are inspired in that work by the mothers, however we identify them the mothers who have loved us, cared for us, and have seen us to today.